Mun. Never feel like I'm saying that right. But you know what I'm talking about. But you know, <clears throat> it isn't just about money. I think whenever we hear, hear that term, if you're familiar with it, we immediately identify it with money. And it's not necessarily specifically talking about money. Money is included. But it's, it's a spirit. But let, let's take a look at what it is. And there, there, there must be a significance to it. Because otherwise, why would Jesus, because I don't believe that Jesus just put words in to take up space. I believe there was a, a purpose behind everything that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit led to be written in the scripture. And four different times, Jesus uses the word mammon. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to look at um, what that is really dealing with, what that's really talking about, because it's talking about influence that it brings into our life. How does it influence our life? And the thing about it is if we, if we don't come to an understanding of it, um, it'll, it'll bring two bro- true bondage into our life. As we were... Uh, as we were worshiping here this morning, I, uh, I glanced over and I, I looked over on this side of the room and I, I saw these young men and I started to just look around the room and I saw these young men and young women um, sitting around this room. And the thing that we need to understand is that these young people, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, I know every age group is supposed to have a title, I don't like titles. These folk are Christians. They're believers. But you know, there's a, there's a humongous influence that's trying to come against every one of our young people. And you take people, especially under the age of 30, there is a huge influence that's trying to affect them, their lives. And you see it bombarding them. It's, it's hitting all of us. But it's really focused towards them. And you see it in media, you see it in every area where they're being bombarded by it. And we think, oh, you know, it's just too bad that our culture is going this way. It has nothing to do with too bad. It has everything to do with with a spiritual attack that's coming against our young folk. And let me tell you what one of the primary influences is that's coming against them. It's the spirit of mammon. What it is, its primary purpose is to draw them away from the kingdom of God. Or at least to bring them to the point where the kingdom of God has no influence in their life. And we as parents, as grandparents, as those of us over 30, (coughs) we need to be praying for these young people and coming against this spirit. Now, I know the moment that you start talking some of this way, you know, some people begin to get a little bit antsy in their pantsy because, uh, you know, it, it makes them uncomfortable. But let me tell you something. You know, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. But let me tell you something, within that power of the gospel, is the power of the Holy Ghost. The moment that we begin to be ashamed of the Holy Spirit, and we begin to shy away from the move of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this church has ceased to have a purpose for existence. And so the fact that I'm talking about spirits that want to influence our lives ought not to be foreign to us. If it is, then I failed as a pastor of this church. And so we ought to be familiar with that and we ought to be comfortable with that because we need to be awakened to that and realize in a lot of our lives, there is this influence that's, and its primary purpose is to draw us away from the kingdom of God, to draw us away from the things of God. And so, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides asunder that which is soul from that which is spirit. And we thank you, Father, for the Holy Ghost who is present here today to teach, 
to instruct, to admonish, to guide us into all truth. And Father, we want you to have your way in this place today. And Father, we'll give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Again, when we're talking about mammon, we're not necessarily just simply talking about money. We're talking about a spirit. We're talking about the deceptive influence that it can have in our lives. And so let's start in Luke, the 16th chapter and the 10th verse. And it says, he who is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust is, is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. And so if you continue to read through this chapter, and we're going to look at more of it later on. In this chapter, it talks about a steward and, and his faithfulness and so forth. And so what, it, what, what, what money is, money is really an indicator of our faithfulness. Money is really an indicator of our trust. Money kind of locates where, we, where we're at. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches. And the reason that, now, now don't misunderstand me. God isn't, you know, I, I preach prosperity. So God is not opposed to you having riches. He's not opposed to that. What he's opposed to is riches having you. You see, the deceitfulness of riches is that it'll draw you away from that which is really important, really significant in your life. You know, <clears throat> I've never heard anybody at the end of their life say, gee, I wish I would have worked more hours so I could have made more money. But because of the deceitfulness of riches, what they say is I wish I would have taken more time off and spent more time with my family. The sinfulness of riches will lead us to the place where we think we've got we've to make all this money so that we can survive. Now, listen to me. I'm not preaching to you this morning that you ought to be slothful. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding hand in poverty. You don't have to seek out poverty. It'll find you. And so I'm not saying that we're to be slothful. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be lazy. I'm talking about where do our priorities lie? The deceitfulness of riches, mammon, it'll take us down that path where we're totally consumed with our vocation, with money, with things around us. Deceitfulness of riches, that's the original definition of that. Money is neither good nor bad. Money is influenced by the spirit that's behind it. You can have money in your pocket and you do good with it. Or you can have money in your pocket and you can do evil with it. You know what, what, what an interesting, what, what, what tells where we are, what, what's important in our life, what our God is is when we look at our checkbook because there's two things that tell us what's really important in our lives. How we use our time and how we use our money. Because see, time is very significant because time uh, spent, you can't ever make it back. Now, I, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says that he'll redeem our time. And so that means to me, what that means, when I've used my time unwisely, God can multiply the productivity of the time that I have left. And so he'll redeem that time. But how we use our time and how we use our money is a, is a tremendous indicator as to what's important in our life. How does it influence our life? Mammon determines what's the primary goals that we have in our lives. You know, and, and I know how it is when you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, 21. You know, what, what's the most important thing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be successful and I'm just going to make a lot of money. 
you know, and, and then, then it doesn't ac actually happen as quickly as you think it is going to. And so what happens, it begins to dominate our life, takes control of everything. And then somewhere along the way, we have to come to our, to our senses and realize this isn't where success in life truly lies. You know, uh, we, we've been blessed uh, to be here at Abundant Life 36 years now. Uh, we've been in the ministry for 38 years and, and people said, you know, that it's been a good run and so forth. You know, but most people that uh, look at us, uh, they, for Pastor Becky and I, they, they say our, our greatest success is the fact that all four of our children, after spending 38 years in the ministry, still love the Lord and are going and, and are serving God. Well, why is that? The reason for that is oftentimes we are drawn aside because of mammon, because it wants to get a hold of us and it wants to pull us away from the truth. I quoted this earlier in, in Matthew 6:33, where it says that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all this stuff is gonna be added unto us. But you know, the lie of the spirit of mammon, the deceitfulness of it is, that if you don't get it, you're not gonna have it. If you don't work those, back, those extra hours, if you don't dedicate your life to this business, you're not gonna have it. And so, the deceitfulness of riches, you see, actually it's telling you that God isn't enough. That's the ultimate lie of the spirit of mammon, is that God can't supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You've got to do it. Now again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're supposed to sit back and not, not have vision and not be productive in life. In fact, as a true Christian, that's what we do. Because it's a part of our Christian new DNA is to be successful. You know, <clears throat> I was at the swim meet yesterday and I was talking with an individual from another, another town and we were, we were talking about um, the swim teams and different things like that. And I love swim team because it, it involves all the ages and the older ones influence the younger ones and the younger ones are able to look up to the older ones and so on and so forth. You know, and not, not everybody wins. Thank God they haven't gotten to the point where everybody gets a first place medal. I think people get a participation medal, but not everybody gets a first place medal. And we're, 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 we're sitting there and talking. I says, you know, <clears throat> you know, I may be a preacher, but I am not of the persuasion. You know, people say, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game that counts. That comes from somebody who has never won. Because I have won and I have lost, and I'll guarantee you something, it is a whole lot more fun to win. But let me tell you something, I haven't won everything that I've participated in. But my effort was to win. My effort was not to come in last place, even though I came in last place. My goal was to win. Let me tell you something about your Christian walk with God. Your goal is not to squeak into heaven. Your goal is to hear those marvelous words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Yeah. I don't know about you, that's what I want to hear. Yeah. I don't want to just hear, well, you know, Pastor, you just made it. Glory, <laughs> by the skin of your chinny chin chin. No, no, I want to hear, well done. But you know, that means that God's got to be God. That means nothing else can be God in our life. He's the one that we follow. Turning over to Matthew, we're staying in Matthew for a little bit. Matthew, the fourth chapter. And uh, in, the, in the eighth verse it says, I will give you all things if you fall down and worship me. If you're, if you're a member, uh, this is talking about when Jesus has just been baptized, he's been in the wilderness. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years and Satan comes up and he tempts him. 
And what is he saying? He said, he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. He says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you it all. You know, the interesting thing about the enemy, his tactics have never changed. The enemy tells you, sacrifice, bow down to this, and I'll give you everything. There's only one problem with that. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Now, what he told Jesus, he had the potential to do that. Because of the fall, he became the God of this world. But I'll guarantee you something, he had never given it to Jesus. Because he's a liar. And you know what? All those lies come against you. Every Monday night, I visit guys that bought the lie. Oh, sell this drug, and it'll meet every one of your needs. No, they got caught, and now they lost 15 years of their life. Just shoot this up your nose, and you feel so good, everything will be absolutely wonderful. And so they do it. And so guess where they are? Now, by the way, I'm not talking about going to the church next door. I'm talking about going to the church up north, which is the Northwest uh, Fort Dodge Correctional Facility. But every one of them bought the lie, and every one of them will admit it. Because they didn't do it with the expectation that they would end up in prison. They did it with the expectation that they would feel good, that they would be prosperous, that they would be looked up to. No, they, they, they bought the lie, the deceitfulness. And that's how the enemy wants to work in our lives. And now, now we're, we're nice folk. Amen. You know, we're, we're nice folk. We'd, we'd never be susceptible to that. Well, maybe you won't buy into the lie about drugs. But are the, what are the other lies that you buy into? Because they're constantly bombarding us on every front. Well, if I had this bigger car, if I had this bigger house, if I had this, that, or the other thing, then, then I'd be happy. No, you'd be broke. <laughs> and you've bought into the lie and it's made you absolutely miserable. And so that's, you know, <clears throat> John 10.10 says, the thief has come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. His ultimate end is to kill each and every one of us. You might as well accept the fact he hates your guts. Because every time he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Because you're the body of Christ. And so he hates your guts. But you know what? He wants to kill you. But what he wants to do is make your life just as miserable as he possibly can in the process because it'll not only affect you, it'll affect everybody around you. Don't buy the lie. Receive what Jesus has truly done for you. You remember the story about the little short guy named Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus saw Jesus coming through and, and Zacchaeus, he climbed up in a tree, his tax collector, and he climbed up there to, so that he could see Jesus better. And Jesus looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, y'all come down here. I, I'm, I'm going to eat with you today. And so he went with him. And you know, it's an interesting, well, let's just turn over there. It's in Luke, the 19th chapter. And the second verse. And it says, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And he was going to pass that way because he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay in your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. 
And when they saw it, uh, uh, and came down, I lost my place. He looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he, he made haste, came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained saying, he's gone to, you know, the, the religious folk. You know, they're, they're the ones that are complaining. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to him, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. Isn't that, a, isn't that an interesting Satan? But see, he encountered Jesus face to face. You know, there's something that happens in your life when you encounter Jesus face to face. Here he was, he was a tax collector and, all, all, and, and says he is rich. And obviously, he had gained his wealth through false taxes, whatever. He didn't do it rightly. But see, that's the deceitfulness of riches. Do you know how many people have embezzled money thinking, uh, you know what, I'm entitled to it. That's a lie, it wasn't yours. But they thought they were entitled to it because of deceit. Now, the deceit was the deceitfulness of riches that was the root behind it, but it was the spirit. And so he had gained all this wealth and he, he encountered Jesus face to face and immediately he became a giver. Rather than being a taker, he became a giver. If we've encountered Jesus, we become a giver. Giving becomes part of who we are. John 3.16, the passage, if anybody knows a passage, they know John 3.16. But listen to what it says. That God so loved the world that he gave. Why is it that when we, when we encounter Jesus, we become givers? Because we're created in his image, the image of God. And because that's his characteristic, that becomes our characteristic. And of course, as Ed Cole always taught us, we only have uh, a few areas that we're able to give, our time, our talent, and our treasury. And you know what? We ought to be givers in every one of those areas with our time, talent, and treasury. Why? Because that's what God did. That's what he demonstrated to us. In Philippians 4.19, you're all familiar with it, it says, For be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Why, why is that verse so significant in this position? Because if we have a need, who are we to approach? We're to approach God. Because he's the one that supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Now, thank God for our nation's welfare program because we help people that have needs. But the problem with the welfare program, for many people, it becomes their identity. It becomes their source. It becomes their God. Because whoever your source is, becomes your God. You know, uh, as a husband, it's my responsibility to, to provide the needs of my family. The Bible says that a man that does not supply for his own is worse than an infidel. And so it's my responsibility to supply for my, for my household, for my family. But you know, the, the interesting thing about that is, <clears throat> I'm not Pastor Becky's source. God is Pastor Becky's source because if I become her source, she's limited in what I'm able to provide for her. Abundant Life Ministries, thank you for, for taking care of me. But I don't want to offend you. You're not my God. You're not my source. You're an avenue by which God supplies 
my need. But ultimately, God is my source. Mike is a farmer. His, his farm provides for him. But his farm isn't his source. God is his ultimate source. His farm is a means by which God has given him wisdom to gain wealth. But it's God that gives him the wisdom. And whatever your vocation is, whatever your line is, it's a means. God is your source because God is your God. And he says, I'll supply your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad? And so that's why it says, be anxious for nothing. You see, as we've shared in the past, the battle of faith, the fight of faith, is not to get God to do something because he's already done it. The battle of faith is to stay in faith. The battle of faith is to rest and say, God, I'm so thankful that you've got this all under control. To me, everything is in turmoil. To me, everything has fallen apart. To me, I hardly know up from down, but you know. And so I rest in you. And I know that you supply every one of my needs according to your riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Let's turn back over to Matthew, the sixth chapter again. Matthew, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin in the 25th verse, but I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And it says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will stand by and be, voted, be devoted to one and be against the other. You cannot serve God and deceitful riches, money, possessions, or whatever is trusted in. We can't trust in money, can't trust in possessions, can't trust in the deceitfulness of riches. We can only have one, one master, and that's God, that's Jesus. And so the moment that we begin to put all of our trust in one of these other things, we're moving our allegiance. We're making that our master. You know, in so many people's lives, their life is totally ruled by the dollar sign. Why is that? Because it's their master. It dictates what they're going to do with their life. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying, go tell your boss, I'm not going to work this, this many hours. I'm not, I'm not saying to be... I'm just saying, it's an attitude thing. What's dominating, what's ruling, what's controlling your life? Is it God or is it money? Let me read this again. I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. Then I'm going to read on a little bit. And it says, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Your, your heavenly Father feeds them are you not more valuable than them, than they? Which of you can, through worry, can add a cubit to his life? Well, I think you can take a few cubits off. But, you know, worry will, worry will do you in. You know, worry is the most expensive thing you can ever do. 90%, probably 9 to 9%, of what you worry about never happens. What that means is you've spent all of your time focused upon something that will never have an impact upon your life. 
where you could have directed yourself to think about, to dwell upon things that can have a tremendous influence, not only in your life, but in the lives of others as well. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that, that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, will he not more clothe you, O you of little faith? And see, that's what happens. We get looking at ourselves rather than putting our trust in him. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He knows that we need all this stuff. And so he says, don't worry about it. God's gonna, he's gonna provide it. <clears throat> and generally the way that he's gonna provide for you is he's gonna give you wisdom in your life to know how to attain what's necessary in your life because it's not like it's just gonna fall out of the sky but he'll give you wisdom. He'll give you understanding. He'll give you direction. And then let me finish that chapter, verses 33 and 34, and I'm gonna read them out of the Amplified it again. It says, Amen and strive for first of all his kingdom and righteousness, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given to you besides. So don't worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. Sufficient for each day is its own troubles. Do you get that? Today's got enough troubles, don't worry about tomorrow's troubles. But what do we do? We're constantly worrying about tomorrow. What's tomorrow gonna bring? Oh, we'll deal with it when we get to it. But today, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches in glory. And so I put all of my trust, I put all of my confidence in him. And so mammon, we always identify it with money, but I'm wanting to talk with you today about that, the spirit that, that's behind it, that spirit of mammon that wants to draw you away from the kingdom of God. Because ultimately, that's really what the enemy wants to do. He wants to influence us, he wants to draw us away. The Bible says in John 4 that God is spirit. And if we're gonna worship him, if we're gonna serve him, we're gonna do that in spirit and truth. But if we don't recognize, if we don't acknowledge that there's a spirit world out here that's trying to influence because God is spirit. So do you know what that means? The number one way that God wants to influence you is through your spirit. If you're reading the same devotion that I'm reading this year, which is Brother Hagin's, uh, what is it, faith food, today you would have been looking at the fact that God is talking about how the number one way that God wants to speak to you and I is through the inner voice. That's how he wants to lead us. We wish that we had a voice from heaven. But you know what, he can do that, but that's not the number one way that God moves in our life. He does it through the inner voice. He speaks to our spirit. And so the number one way that God leads us is through the spirit. The number one way that the enemy wants to deceive us is by his spirit, by the evil spirit, by a deceiving spirit, by the spirit of mammon. And that's why we have to be tuned in I know as a grace preacher, you can't say you have to, but you have to. Because if you don't know the Word of God, you can't hear from the Word of God. You can't hear what God is trying to lead you. And the number one way that He leads you is through His Word, through the inner voice. Because that inner voice will never contradict the Bible. And that's why we have to know the word. So that when that leading comes, we recognize it. 
But you know, there's the other side of it. When that deception comes, we recognize it. We recognize it. You know, when Jesus was in the, in, in, in the wilderness and the enemy is tempting him, he tempted him with word. You know, just because you can find it in the word doesn't, doesn't make you can use that, say that you can use any in interpretation of it that you want. Amen. You know, I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, the most damning lie is the lie that's closest to the truth. And we see people in Christendom being led astray because they're buying into a lie because somebody spoke a scripture over them, but it wasn't used in context. It wasn't used in the way that it was intended to be used and it's leading them astray. We need to be wise. And our wisdom comes from the word of God. It comes as we hear what he wants to speak to each of our lives. John 6, 63 says that his word is life. And so when we hear his word, it brings life to each and every one of us as believers. But let's go on back to Luke, the 16th chapter. We looked at it a little bit earlier. Let's go back there and let's start reading in the 10th verse. And then in the 10th verse it says, he is who is faithful in what is least is faithful in much. <clears throat> Have you noticed something as you've read through that? He's calling money the least. Isn't it? We, we make what God calls the least the most important, the most significant. God calls money least. And he's saying, if you can't be faithful with the least, somebody else's least, how can you ever be trusted with the most, with the important things? You know, 36 years ago when we came here, we, the first July that we were here, we went down to Tulsa to camp meeting. And while we were down there at Tulsa, they, they had their normal <clears throat> offering and and uh, <clears throat> Brother Hagan invited Oral Roberts up to, uh, to preach, and he preached. And at the end of it, Norval Hayes got up and said, I think we're supposed to take another offering. And, and, and anyway, you, you, most of you have heard this story. So they, they were taking another offering, and, and Norval says, there's people here that need a building, pastors here that need a building, and uh, you, need to, you need to tithe into that. You need to give $1,000. And it wasn't Brother Hagan, it was... Norval Hayes that was saying this. And so I leaned over to Pastor Becky and I, I said, uh, I really feel like I'm supposed to, we're supposed to do that. And she says, well, then obey. And I says, but, you know, if the church isn't, because I've been in church, I think, two weeks. I said, if the church doesn't agree with that, we're going we're gonna to have to pay for it because I, I, I'm, I'm making the commitment. And she says, yep. So I went forward and I made that vow and I came back and I got together with the elders and I told them what, what I did. And this, this is what the elders told me. They said, Pastor, if we can't trust you with $1,000, how are we ever going to be able to trust you with our spiritual well-being, our souls? I mean, that spoke volumes to me. But you know what? It's the truth. And you know what I've seen? I've seen very few preachers that failed because they couldn't preach. I found preachers fail because of infidelity or the deceitfulness of riches because of money. That's what it'll do to an individual's life because it'll lie to you and it'll tell you it really doesn't matter. But let me tell you something. It does matter because it brings death and destruction into our lives. Therefore, if you've been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, money, who will commit uh, to your trust the true riches? That's the principles, the truths of the kingdom of God. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man, who will give you 
that of your own. No servant can serve two masters. And it goes on from there and it talks about having masters again. But it says, <clears throat> what is the, if the, the least is money, what is the much? The much is the grace of God. The grace is that God has purchased for you and I. That's the much that has been made available to each and every one of us. Remember the story about the, the widow that's in church and, and it's time to give the offering and Jesus watches her and she goes over and she puts, she puts in, we call it the widow's mind. She puts in a couple of cents. And Jesus said, this woman's put in more than y'all. And you know, we always identify it with the fact that she gave everything that she had because she only had two pennies. And that's part of it. But the true, the reason that she put in more than everybody else was because she trusted him, because of faith. You see, <clears throat> the amount is insignificant. What's significant is who are we trusting? Where are we putting our confidence? Where are we putting our trust? We emphasize tithing because God emphasized tithing, which is 10%. But, but let me tell you something. There's people that may tithe, but they don't trust God. And so they're just simply going through the motions. If you're having difficulty in your giving, let me tell you something. Start someplace. If you can't start with 10%, start with a cent, percent, 1%, 2%, 3%. Work your way up. And you'll work your way up according to trust. Because let me tell you something. If it's developed in your life, at some point in time, 10% will never be enough for you. Because your God is bigger than 10%. So where do we put our trust? Where do we put our confidence? <clears throat> you know, I, for those of you that are visiting today, I, I very seldom preach on, on finances and so forth. But you're blessed today. You get to hear it. Hallelujah. It's deceitful. And you see, there, there is a reason why I'm doing it. Because I see the destructiveness of it. I see lives that are being totally torn apart because of the deceitfulness of riches. I see people that are missing the mark in investing into the kingdom of God because the deceitfulness of riches has led them astray where they're investing their finances in every other area. <clears throat> and then at some point in time, they wonder why God isn't faithful to them. God is faithful. But you know, many times our actions dictate how he's able to bring blessing into our lives. Let's be faithful with God. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to meddle here a little bit, and I don't want this to be taken wrongly. Because <laughs> the other day we were talking, and we were talking about this, the, the younger folk, and, uh, and it's, it's spilling over into the older folk, but, but how we, we like to invest in, in projects, things that are happening. And it, it, it's wonderful. Because there's so many things and there's wonderful things going on in our community that people can invest in that are, that are wonderful. But <clears throat> the deceitfulness of it is, is that it draws us away from the kingdom of God. It gets us to the point to where we stop investing in God's kingdom. We stop investing in what, what God wants to do. You know, we, we've noticed that with, with missions, if there's, a, if there's a project, oftentimes people are quick to hook up with it because they, they, can, they can see the fruit of it. You know, and so, you know, <clears throat> we have all kinds of fundraisers for, for different things, and, and they're good. I'm not, I'm not belittling them in any way, shape, or form, even though it may appear that I am. I am not. But it's how deceit works in our life. It makes something look good in spite of the fact that it takes away from something else. Now, I hope you're all of this persuasion that the most important thing 
that any one of us have and will ever encounter in our life is our encounter with Jesus, being born again into the family of God. That's the most important thing you'll ever experience in your life. We're a miracle church. That's the greatest miracle that you'll ever encounter in your life. And so deceit is that which would take it away and take that money and invest it in something else so that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't continue to go forth. And by the way, I'm not preaching this today because Abundant Life Ministries is in trouble. We're not. God supplies every one of our needs. He has for as long as this church has been in existence and he's going to continue to be so. But let me tell you where our heart has to be. Our heart has to be in the kingdom of God. There are so many things that move me, y'all know. But you know, the ultimate movement has to be towards, be towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says that if we'll do that, all things will be added unto us. You know, somebody did the survey one time. And in that survey, he came to the conclusion, because he, he went with the numbers and so forth, that if evangelical Christians, I'm not talking about everybody that simply goes by the title. I'm talking about if evangelical Christians, born again Christians, if every evangelical Christian would tithe, there would never have to be an offering taken again. There would never have to be an offering taken for the poor because the coffers of the church would be so full that the church would be doing its duty and meeting the needs of the poor. Now, I don't know about you. See, that, that kind of excites me. Because number one, I don't like taking special offerings. But if we tithe, if the church tithe, you know, <clears throat> You may not realize this about God, but God knows what he's doing. When he spoke to the church, he knew exactly what he is doing. The deceitfulness, the, the spirit of mammon, it works in our life in so many ways. You remember, it's in Matthew, the 16th chapter, where, where Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they say, oh, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus looked at him and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my spirit. That's talking about revelation. That's talking about looking Jesus in the eye and he revealing himself to you. But you know what? You stay in the same book and you go down just a few verses into the same book and what you find is Jesus is teaching Peter, the disciples, and he's telling them about how he's going to be crucified. And Jesus looks at Peter because Peter says, Lord, that's never going to happen. He says, we ain't going to allow that. And Jesus looks at him and he says, doesn't, doesn't say Peter. He says, Satan, get ye behind me. What Peter said sounded so good. It sounded so religious. No, Lord, no. Get behind me, Satan. That's how the spirit of mammon works in our life. It deceives us into what we say. It sounds good, it sounds religious, it sounds spiritual, but it's anti-God. It's anti-Christ, it's contrary to the scriptures. And once again, just let me reiterate, that's why the word of God is so important in our lives. Because that's how we can determine if Peter had listened to Jesus for the last three and a half years, he would have known, but he didn't listen. He was too busy being Peter. 
We don't listen. We're too busy being Dave or whatever your name is. And we're distracted. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will ex be exalted in the earth. Be still and know. Do you realize we're supposed to know something? We're supposed to know our God. Ephesians 6, 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The spirit of mammon is one of those rulers. It's one of those things that we come up against. And you know what, I, I learned a long time ago. You can't negotiate with demonic activity. You take authority over it in Jesus' name. That spirit of mammon, you don't sit back and negotiate. You take authority over it in Jesus' name. Because let me tell you something, it raises its ugly head. And the number one indicator that it's raising its ugly head is that it wants to be first place in your life. It wants to make material things. It wants to make money. It wants to make stuff. Number one in your life. You are looking too serious. Everybody say, we love you, Pastor Dave. Yeah, because this is good stuff. Because this isn't, I'm not sharing this to bond you up. I'm sharing this to set you free. And see, I know what's coming against these young folk. We need to be praying for them. We need to be standing in the gap for them. We need to be saying, no, in Jesus' name. They're going to fulfill the, God's plan and purpose for their life, and it's not going to be determined by money. Amen? Good preaching, Pastor Dave. Well, thank you. Hallelujah. He's out to still kill and destroy. 1 Peter 6, 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, and again, people misinterpret that. And they'll say you're not supposed to have anything because the love of money is the, or money is the root of all evil. No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. And the love of money is not dictated by the amount of money. You know, there are people that are very rich that have a love for money. But you know what? There are people that don't have two pennies that they can rub against one another that have a love for money. That word love there is a relational word. And so when the Bible is talking about here, talking about the love of money, it's talking about our relationship with money. What is our relationship with money? Is our relationship with money just simply so that I can get more stuff? Or is my relationship with money so that I can produce that which is good in this world that I live in? You know, <clears throat> You, you, you do realize money can do a lot of good, don't you? Yeah. You know, you can say, well, money isn't important. Well, it is when you can't buy groceries. Right. It is when you can't pay your rent. You know, and so then that's where, that's where the love of money begins to creep in because it begins to dominate and it begins to control our life. Our relationship begins to evolve totally around money rather than God. Now, I'm not saying that when we need money to, to meet a bill, we don't do what we have to do. But what we do is we begin to declare that it's God who's going to supply all of my needs, and He's given me the direction. And as He gives me the directions, I follow it. Because you know what? He's not going to leave you in want. Matthew 6, 21, we read it. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? It's where your heart is. What's most important to you? Well, three quick things and, and I'll quit. Um, the spirit of mammon has three cousins. The first is the spirit of pride. Pride does not acknowledge God for his blessings. Something good happens in their life, and we take all the credit for it. That's pride. You know, it's not that we got to go around, oh, God, yes, 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 God, thank you, Jesus, he did it, he did it. No, but we. You know, because sometimes that can be just a show, and in the inside, I, I really know I did it. You know, but thank you, God. I'm not talking that. I'm talking within our heart. We know that it's God that has brought me to the place where I am today, that the successes I have are a result of him and of not, and not of anything that I've done. In this way, when we get into pride, it goes against the word. Proverbs 3, 6, it says, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your, your paths. Um, this, this spirit, what it does is it, it kills your ability to serve God. Because there will always be an excuse. Well, I have to be at work, or we can't afford it, or this, that, or the other thing. You know, our, our trip coming up uh, in two weeks, when we head to Honduras, We've got 19 people that are going. And uh, you know what? A good portion of them couldn't afford it. But they said, you know what? I believe God wants me to go, and I believe he'll provide the way. And you know, of the 19 that signed up to go, 19 are going. And God provided a way for each and every one of them. God will provide a way. But you know what? If we're going to do it in our own ability, oftentimes we've, we've got to change plans because it's not there. God will supply it. Pride is a lie. So when living in a prideful lifestyle, we live a lie. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, for we dare, the other thing that pride does is it causes us to compare. It causes us to begin to judge others. This is what the scripture says about this in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves, are comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. <clears throat> we only have one comparison in our life, and that's with Jesus. And in our comparison with Jesus, we always come up short. But he always lifts us up because we put our confidence in him. The second cousin is greed. We do not need money to be greedy. A lot of people that don't have money, but they're greedy just the same. It's okay, I said this earlier, it's okay to have possessions. He just doesn't want them to have us. There's a lot of people that are controlled by their possessions. We're to have dominion in this earth. The earth isn't to dominate us. And so our possessions are not to dominate us. God says to give and to bless others. But greed causes us to hold on to everything we have and seek even more. There's, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. Absolutely nothing wrong with being blessed. You know, you got to be blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Amen. But it's when that stuff has you. It's when it controls your life. It's when you can't give to somebody else because then I'm going to have less. That's when greed has begun to step in. And then the final one is the spirit of poverty. And you know what? The spirit of poverty isn't what we think it is. We see somebody that's down and out. We see somebody that's, that's standing by the roadside with a, with a sign uh, asking for help. 
we say, oh, spirit of poverty. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that have bank accounts full of money that are operating in the spirit of poverty because they can't enjoy what God's done in their life. They live their life constantly fearful of losing what they have. Once again, the spirit of mammon comes into play. Oh, you know, prices are dropping. The stock market is going to crash. Crash. Your savings are going to, they're going to hit the tank. Well, maybe yours are, mine aren't. But see what the spirit of poverty will do. It'll cause you to go sell everything. And you'll miss out on what's really available to you. It's, it's motivated by fear. And so that's how that spirit of mammon begins to work in our life. It wants to bring destruction. One last scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace. Everybody say all grace. All grace. Not some grace. He says he's able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always have all sufficiency. Amen. All sufficiency. In all things. May have an abundance for every good work. For every good work. For every good work. The spirit of poverty doesn't want this to happen in your life. He wants you to be deprived and to deprive. He wants you to lavish it on self while self is never satisfied. You know, the Bible says this. I know I said that was my last passage, but I'm not really lying because it's not in my notes. Okay. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, I don't know about you. I, I like to receive. So just for your information. I, I like to receive. You know, <clears throat> I got sweet corn waiting in my, my office because Jackie gave and I received. But you know, the Bible says it's more blessed to give. And I can honestly say I believe that. Because what brings you joy you know, I'm thinking about here in a couple of weeks when we're down in Honduras, and so for so many of you, you've uh, donated sheets or uh, something else so that we, you know, some of the other products that were taken down there or maybe money so somebody can go down there. And you see the faces on individuals, and you see how blessed it is to be able to give. You know, <clears throat> I remember when, I, when Barb gave Pastor Jeff and I uh, an avenue to go to South Africa and we were down there with the Blessmans and we'd, we went out on a, one of their eyeglass projects and uh, um, I was, you know, diagnosing people for eyeglasses, you know, and I was not very good at it, <clears throat> you know, but I was doing it. And uh, there was this older lady that I was working with, and she got these eyeglasses, and she looked across the room, and the expression on her face, whatever it cost to go to South Africa and to be there for that week was paid for in that moment, to, be the, to see the expression on her face. Let me tell you something. That was in South Africa, but you know what? We've got folk right here in Greene County, in Jefferson, Iowa. They need to know the love of God. And it may be through material means, but it may be through a word. It may be just simply by us demonstrating that we care about them. And you see the expression on their face. It's more blessed to give 
than it is to receive. There's Monday nights, I'm selfish. I don't want to get in my car and drive to Fort Dodge. I want to go through those gates and go into that institution. I'm not feeling like I want to preach for an hour and a half to these guys. Yeah, I really do. But, but, but there's day I don't want to. But I'll tell you, by the time I'm done, and I see the expression on their faces, and these convicts that are supposed to be so hateful can't wait to get to the front of the room so that they can give me a hug and thank me for coming. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. <clears throat> Don't limit what God can do through your life because it's that spirit of mammon that would want to tell you that you don't have anything to give, that you're not qualified, that you can't do it. Yes, you can. And the reason I can say yes, you can, because you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, and He's empowered you, He's equipped you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm not done, but I gotta quit. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's lift a hand up to Him. Father, we acknowledge you today. We acknowledge you as our master. We acknowledge you as our king. We acknowledge you as our provider. We acknowledge you as, your, as our all in all. And we thank you, Father, for your goodness and for your love. And Father, I speak a blessing upon this congregation. Father, I pray that we would have a new confidence, that we would have a new boldness, that we would use that which you've given to us to further your kingdom. And Father, as we do, we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory because you're worthy of it. And so we thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Guide us and direct us every step of the way. And Father, we ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we thank you. And so as you go, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.